come before you. We open your word. We need you to teach us. And Lord, we need you to transform us into Christ-likeness because we've spent this time here, because we've opened your word, and because we believe your spirit is in the business of changing us into the image of your son. And so work in our hearts where we most need it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, My wife this weekend earned the Grandmother Wonder Woman Award. Last night, we had, we had our, the three oldest of Matt and Sarah's kids with us. Matt was here putting up deer stands, and he brought the three oldest with him. And uh, going go-karting and mini-golfing is a fun thing to do. So last night, the three of us, the three adults, took the three kids... We went to Thief River so we could go-kart and mini-golf. And we did the go-karts one time around, and that was fun. And then we're doing the mini-golf, and in order to do mini-golf, we each just took a kid. They did the mini-golf. We just monitored a kid. We got through with no kids with teeth knocked out with the putter or anything like that. We kept the putters down on the ground. It was wonderful. We had a good time. And while we were going around, we said, you know, we should really go-kart one more round. And so uh, we... Knew we were going to do that. We got to the 18th hole, and I had the youngest of their three kids. And I said to Lori, I said, Lori, will you just watch him? I'm going to go get tickets for when we go kart. We can keep this thing moving along. Because all he's got to do is, you know, he puts the ball right next to the hole, taps it, and he's done. That's how he plays mini, mini golf. All right. So we're doing this, and I go in. I get the tickets. I have the tickets. I'm coming, ready to come out. Matt comes in kind of half smiling, kind of half laughing. He's not sure what to make of it. He said, um... Dad, mom is mini-golfing, and she thinks she broke her arm. It's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, she thinks she broke her arm. So she comes in, and apparently one of the kids had hit the ball. It was going to go further than she wanted it to go because we're trying to get done. She went to stop the ball, and her flip-flop caught. Threw her off balance. She went down, and her arm looked a little wonky. Dee Cuyava was working behind the counter. She happened to have, because she's an EMT person, a, a temporary splint. So she went and got a temporary splint, put it on. And then we're like, well, what do we do? Do we finish what we came to do? <laughs> or do we go directly to the hospital? Do we push on through in light of the problems, or do we go to the hospital immediately? And Lori was like, no, we're going to push on through. And so she drove the, her, our granddaughter uh, with one hand in a splint and the other on the steering wheel, and she pushed through, even though, yes, when we got to the hospital, she did have, does have a broken right just above the wrist. Yes, it's broken. And, yeah, so she gets the Grandma Wonder Woman Award because she could have said, this hurts, I can tell it's broken because she was pretty certain it was, and it's foolish for me to ride a go-kart. I'm going back. Are you with me? Once the problems arose. But she went through. Right? Went through. The reason I say that, and I got permission. I, as we were uh, driving her to the hospital, I said, can I use this as a sermon illustration? <laughs> well, I don't know how you would use it. I, I'll think of something. <laughs> I already knew that it illustrated what the book of Hebrews is about. We've been in the book of Hebrews for a year now, and repeatedly in this book, the author to the Hebrews is is encouraging, exhorting 
the, the readers to push through, to go on to the end, to go on to maturity, to get close to God because they're facing some difficulties. And the difficulties, although they're not spelled out for us, we do get hints to them, they're real difficulties, are tempting them to go, you know, maybe we don't ride the go-karts again. Maybe we just go back at this point. And the writer to the book of Hebrews is saying, no, don't go back. Yes, there's difficulties, but go on, go deep, go on to maturity. Are you with me? Keep moving. The entire book is laid out with that. Now, um, I, was, I, I tried last week, due to a, a, a short time that I had to work with, due to a short amount of sleep that I was working with, I felt like last week, I, got to, I thought, man, that was so confusing. So I thought, this week we're going to clarify what I'm trying to get at. And so I tried to do it in a visual way, and it ultimately got away from me, and this is what you wind up with here, which is, seems to me, I looked at it and went, that's almost more confusing than where we were. But we're going to give it another shot. We're not giving up here, friends. I'm trying to lay out for us, because I truly believe if you have this, it'll stay with you the rest of your life, and that's why I want you to have it. Um, so we're going to modify this a little bit, what we have in the bulletin, and here's what I want us to think about. Remember this, these exhortations to continue to go on to maturity, to push through, to go into the presence of God, to draw near to Him. All right, here's where they show up, and this is why I say this, that they really do happen, and now I got to, oh, here it is. All right, so starting in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we were exhorted to not let not drift by Christ. That was the first exhortation. And from then on, repeatedly, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and I've listed, they are listed for you in the bulletin, a little hard to pull out of there, but they're listed in case you want to go back and see that, yes, this is something thematically moves throughout the book. 3, 1 to 6, 3, 12 to 14, 4, 1 to 4, 4, 11 to 16, and 6, 1 are these constant exhortations to move on, to go to maturity, go deeper, draw close to God. Then we come to 6, 11, and 12. I'm going to come back to that. This is all part of that discussion. And then we have 10, 22 to 23. I'm going to come back to that. What I'm trying to get you to see is after we get done with 10, 22 to 23, we are back to 10, 24 to 25, 26 to 39, 12, 1 to 28, 13, 1 to 17, 13, 20 to 21. We're back to these exhortations that keep coming about what maturity looks like and how we move on towards it. Are you with me? You can look those up for yourself. If you're saying, Gary, you're still a little confusing to me. All right, here they are. I wanted you to see them visually. You got a long line in front of the core of what we're going to talk about today, and you have a long line of these references after what we're going to talk about today. Are we good? The other thing that we've mentioned as we've gone through the book of Hebrews uh, we've mentioned this a number of times, is smack dab from 6.13 to 10.21 in the middle of chapter 6 to the middle of chapter 10. We said there's four chapters. There's no exhortation. And when you see all of these exhortations here and all of these exhortations here, and then all of a sudden you come to this block, it's entirely doctrinal. It's entirely instructive about what Christ has done for four chapters of straight doctrine describing a better covenant and a better priesthood which are founded on better promises that create an anchor for the soul. That phrase comes directly from uh, the early part of that passage. What I would like to identify for us is 
this better covenant and the better priesthood, and we tried to identify them in the bulletin, might feel a, a, look a little weird. Those are the two things that everything is founded on. That's why they create this anchor for the soul. Four chapters describing that. Are we good? Understand that? No exhortation in there at all. Magnificent discussion of what Christ has done on our behalf. So if you want to, to, if you want to say, all right, I need to understand more fully what Christ has done for me, here's one of the passages you want to turn to and spend a month or two looking at these verses and rolling them over in your minds and meditating upon them and understanding them. You'll come to much greater clarity if you're not sure what Christ has done for you. Okay? That's purely doctrinal. What I'm trying to point out here now is this whole line of exhortations led up to this and a whole line of exhortations led away from this. But I want us to compare what was immediately before and immediately after. And I tried to point this out last week and realized that did not come across well. So immediately leading into this doctrinal part, we read, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Can you see that diligence? Don't become sluggish. Move on through, okay? If you follow afterwards in 1022 to 23, immediately after this doctrinal statement, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We looked at that last week. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And what I tried to point out last week is immediately surrounding, right before and right after this totally doctrinal statement, you have a lead-in and a lead-out that are similar. One, this concept of diligence. I underlined this part. Do not become sluggish. Hang on. Or the same area of thought is let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's where we're going to spend our time today. There's one parallel. The second thing is the full assurance of hope until the end, right? All the way through. Here we're referenced the full assurance of faith. I put those in boldness. Then you'll notice, uh, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, this concept of God's promises. And I put that in parentheses, or quotation marks, shows up here for he who promised is faithful. So you see those three elements that are there? Leading into this doctrinal, leading out of the doctrinal. Right in here is where we wind up with this idea of two gets you three. What's the two? In the bulletin, we try to point that out. A better covenant, a better priesthood gets you three exhortations now as we return to exhortive material. All right? Uh, draw near. And in the small print at the top of the, I put, we go in. We go into the Holy of Holies because Christ has made a way through the veil. That is his flesh. So in light of that, draw near. Go in. Keep going. Don't turn around and go back because there's some problems. We need to get closer to God. Not abandon him. Not abandon what he's doing. That's the first of the three things we get. The next of the three things is to hold fast. And we'll deal with that this morning. What I want you to see in the third thing will come up in September.
All right, we're going to hit that third one. But does that make some sense? Are we beginning to fill that in? I still see faces all going, still lost. Okay, well, we'll review it again if we have to. All right? But here's where we want to be today. We want this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The exhortation is... We don't back away from this. Yes, there's real problems the Hebrews are experiencing. But the problems don't become an excuse for us to turn away, to go back and say, well, we'll wrap it up here. It was a nice little run, but, you know, this Jesus thing is getting to be a little bit difficult. So, therefore, I I think I'll look for something more comfortable, something more acceptable, something more that, that it doesn't create problems, you know, with my culture, with my family, with my friends, with my workplace so I'll go back to something else. No, we hold on. We keep moving forward. Steve said, when he saw this, he said, Gary, I'm a little concerned. He said, I see that you have a ski and a boot. And he knows, I hang on to summer as long as I can. He said, I'm a little concerned about where you're going with this this morning. Well, I do want to illustrate something, and I, did, I agreed, yes, it's out of season, but I want to do it anyways. When you see the ski, I do have a matching one to each of these, by the way, in case you're wondering. I recall as a young boy that my dad had skis from when he was a young man. And not to date anyone here, but Arnold, Arnold, did you have the kind of skis that my dad had? Gene, did you have them? Larry, did you have them that were boards curled at one end with two leather straps? One went this way over your foot and one went the other way. Do you guys have those? Do you remember them? One strap only. All right, it was only one strap. There you are. All right, so that's what it was in the day. And I remember those being in my basement and those were dad's skis. You don't touch them. All right, now I wish I had them, of course, because you can't find them anymore. But that's all it was, was a strap. Well, in order for the ski to work, the ski's got to respond to what you're doing with your foot. That strap was not, did not tighten the, the uh, ski to the boot. And, and I'm assuming in that day you wore whatever boots you had, right? There was not a particular boot. It was just a ski that you wear out. And my dad, I just picture him, what did he ever have? He had those, those old galoshes or overshoes, what you call them, four buckle, right? Just a doop-doop, trap goes on, and then he'd try and put his skis on top of that. But it's very, it's very floppy. It does not tighten down. So by the time my brother bought his first set of skis, they had developed a, a system whereby you buy a boot that's fitted to the ski. It locks right in, and now that floppiness between the boot and the ski, is, it's no longer there. Well, that was a pretty good system. First time I skied, I skied with that system. The boot was about ankle high is all that it was. And some of you my age will remember, you tied an inner, you laced up an inner leather part to that, and then you laced up an outer leather part to that, trying to give some stability to your ankle. Now, for those of you who ski, you know you do not ski standing straight up. In order to ski, you have to flex your knees, get your weight positioned properly over the skis. So what we had to do is, because this was only an ankle-high boot, you had to constantly work to hold that position. That, too, provided some places where it wasn't real stable. 
So over time, what they developed was an even better system whereby they take a boot that attaches to the ski, but they also shape the boot to hold forward so that... uh, Oh, maybe... Oh, you're going to... Right there. Okay. So that when you're done, the boot is secure to the ski. It's not going anywhere as well as it tips your legs forward in the appropriate position. You could not run a marathon in these boots, okay? Very awkward to walk in, perfect to ski in, because it now holds your foot in the proper position. So they developed two things to keep it stable. One, the boot to the ski. Two, for your ankle, they came way up, halfway up your calf, stabilized it that way. Now, the ski will always respond immediately to however you move your foot. There's no play left in there. And you are there, locked in, and ready to go. The reason that I point all of that out is notice what the writer says. Let us hold the confession of our hope without wavering. The word hold literally means to lock down or to establish down to establish below. So that's why the idea of a foot comes to my mind. Let us do that with nothing wavering. The boot allows for nothing to waver. Neither the ski slips from the boot and nor does the ankle slip relative to the boot above the ski. Two things that lock it in place. It's a great system. It works. We're exhorted that we, because of two things... Because of a better covenant and a better priesthood, we now lock in. We step into that, and it will hold us. It will be an anchor for our soul that holds us steady. It will hold everything in place. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, here's why we know it'll hold. For he who promised is faithful. The one who promised in these things, the better priesthood, the better covenant, the one who promised these things is faithful. So where our real security ultimately links back to is the very character and nature of God. That he, when he promises, fulfills his promises. He is faithful. He never acts contrary to his nature. So when we lock in, to the things of Jesus Christ, when we lock in that he alone is the better covenant, he alone is our high priest, we are secure and we are stable and we truly have an anchor for the soul. Therefore, keep moving on. Don't turn back. Don't unloose the boot and go, no, this is getting a little shaky here and I'm going to run back. I'm going to go back to the old system. No. Get in. Get in and lock down. Next time we'll understand what we do after that also. So that all sounds great. But you know what? If that was all so simple, we'd all be walking with Jesus all the time. Right? We'd all be, oh man, the Christian life, nothing like it. Nothing like it. But there are headwinds that we're all gonna face. There are things that push against us. And cause us to really question. 
Is God faithful to his promises? We've been there, haven't we, people? We've hit the bumps. We've wiped out. In the skiing vernacular, you might call it a yard sale if it's a big wipeout. Your equipment is all the way up and down the hill. We've done it. And we've wondered, where's God in all of this? I want to remind us, as we're called to, to lock down, we can be steadfast because God is faithful. All right. But I want to remind us as to the headwinds that we will come up against. Genesis chapter 3. As the evil one confronts Adam and Eve, what does the first thing he says? Yea, has God said... Has God said, one of the headwinds you and I will fight all the time is the headwind of a spiritual warfare that goes on that constantly tells us you cannot believe God. You cannot believe God's word. You ought not to do that. Why? Well, he'll give a number of reasons if to the intellectual world to say, well, he doesn't exist. The idea of God makes no sense whatsoever. But to those who are being beaten and brutalized by life, he often will just say, see, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. God's only looking out for God. That's effectively, I believe, what he told Adam and Eve. He doesn't want you to gain the understanding of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there is this spiritual headwind that we will always face because the evil one does not desire for you to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, for you to be confident that I can trust him in all things. He absolutely wants to keep you on the edge, always questioning, can I believe God or not? How far do I take this Bible thing? How far do I take this faith in Jesus Christ? How much, how much difficulty do I allow into my life and still stay locked on that I am not giving up in my walk with Jesus Christ? And he tells us it's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's, there's, you can go back. There's no shame in going back. Grandma, there's no shame if you don't drive the go-karts again. Everybody would understand. There's no shame if you don't suffer further for the kingdom. There's no shame if you, if you uh, decide to buy into, the, into what other people are saying and what they're thinking. There's no shame in that. That's number one, headwind number one. Headwind number two is out of this evil one who's determined to keep us from coming to wholeness and fullness in Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus described this, his motives as this. He said the evil one comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. That's his personal motivation. He's out to defeat us. He is out to prevent us from ever entering into the fullness of all that God has. And to help him in that, because we're all susceptible to this, there are a whole lot of people who've bought into the lie. In fact, I bought into the lie until I began to understand the word, until I began to understand that God is shedding light on the lie and saying, hey, that's a lie. Come out of that. 
there's goodness over here. But I was in the lie for many, many years. There's an entire system that the Bible speaks of the world. A world system that is around us. And a world system that tells us right now, we see it confronting us. It tells us things like God's morality means nothing. God gave you a particular gender? Oh, no, that's something you choose. We can dismiss that. That's just foolishness. Do you need to lie in order to get ahead? Do you need to cheat your boss in order to get ahead? You need to take something from your neighbors that is not yours? doesn't matter. And there's a world system that this is how it operates. We were discussing just a little bit of the world system this morning in Sunday school with the high schoolers. They began actually a pretty significant discussion. And um, one of the things I just draw to them, something that I have read recently, there are more people enslaved in this day right now than ever before in the history of mankind. There are more people in slavery now. That's a world system that says it's okay to enslave somebody for a variety of different reasons. But the world system says, sure, go ahead and do it because it's about you. You're at the center. It's your life. You do what you want. Nothing else matters. And how susceptible are we? I am to this whole idea that your desires, Gary, your desires, your thoughts, your wants, your needs are all that matter. Live for those. I like people telling me that. It's not true. But I sure like hearing it, and it's easy to buy into it. But that's the thing that matters. So there is not only a particular individual, the evil one, out to defeat us. There's an entire system of people who who have bought into what he is saying, which will defeat us. It creates headwinds for us. Things that we will have to say, I can't go there. I won't do that. And it may cost me something personally, but I'm still not going there. I'm still not doing that. I'm not following that system. And so we have that headwind that we're fighting against. And then we have a third headwind. And some of you have already figured out what it's going to be. The third headwind is what the Bible calls the flesh. Just the fact that me as a fallen person, I am wrapped up in my own life. I am wrapped up in my own desires. I want what I want for my sake, for my desires, for my happiness. And this whole Jesus thing calls us to live as servants. It calls us to live kingdom principles that reflect glory and honor to God. It calls us to live in a way that as he transforms us into Christ's likeness, we begin to express that. And that doesn't come by being caught up in myself. It comes in service, caring for others, and a whole magnitude of other things that reflect the image of Christ. So we're called to lock down. And we can be faithful because, uh, uh, we can be steadfast because God is faithful. But I want us to be aware, these are the headwinds that are going to beat us every single day. 
they're going to blow against us. And you guys know what wind can do. How many of you have tried to strap something down that you're going to haul over a long distance, right? And you're going to tarp it down, right? What happens if you leave one little place for that tarp? Okay? Yeah, some of you guys, you're nodding because that's what I expect from the guys. Yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. You leave one little spot for that wind to get in. Pretty soon, it's all opening up on you, right? Okay. And that's what the evil one is looking for. That's what the system is looking for. And that's what our flesh is susceptible to. These headwinds come, and we're susceptible to getting, begin to be responsive to them and, and get our cover blown off. And, and then we're kind of wondering, well, what happened? And the writer to the Hebrews says, look, go in. Go into the presence of God and lock down on him. And don't waver. Do not move. Don't let a headwind in. Remember the anchor that is yours. You have a better priest and a better covenant. And they are based upon the promises of God who is faithful. That is the only place you have that you are secure. And everything else will tell us this is better and everything else will one day explode and leave us empty. Other than who we have in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a magnificent reality and truth that is ours, friends? I'm not saying life is going to be great every day, okay? I know my wife is discouraged. I know she is. That she broke her wrist and Matt left early with the kids. I guarantee you the pain of those kids leaving three days sooner than she had planned on taking them home is way worse than the pain of that broken wrist. And that's just a small headwind. But we're all facing them. We're all running up against them every day. The writer to the book of Hebrews would say, look, repeatedly would say, go in, go to maturity, don't turn back, make sure that you're anchored in Jesus Christ. For he alone is a security that will not break free and leave you floating into the places you have no idea. Oh, my friends, it is a magnificent thing we have in the Savior that we have a God faithfully fulfilling his promises to us to bring us into Christ-likeness, to create a new heart and a new mind in us, and to bring us out of the darkness of a system led by one who came to kill, steal, and destroy Let's lock down on Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Oh, Lord, we are so susceptible. Perhaps that is why the writer of the Hebrews so repeatedly exhorts us about staying focused upon you, about staying locked on to you, about not letting go. Because we are just so weak to that end, Lord. But I pray this morning that as we have considered these things, I pray this morning, Father, that uh, you will impress into each of our own hearts that as you give us strength, we are going to secure ourselves ever more firmly to the Savior, knowing that in him alone is any hope at all. Change us into his image. Make us faithful as he is faithful, Lord. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.